Yes, we need a little bit of white noise, Mark, here uh, going into this, just so we've got the recording right. Okay, I think I think we're good to go now. Yay! All right, all right. Mark, my the, our suburban, uh, our suburban's having some problems. The red beast. The red beast. I don't know if you've noticed when we drive up, you can kind of <laughs> smell the oil burning because it's leaking out of the hmm. one of the gaskets. One of the, the oil holdy back things. Thingies. Yeah. yeah. So we need to get that fixed. And, and you know, one of the kids is a little bit sick. Oh, and, that's uh, not good. Yeah, we've got it's kind of going around the Leaky family. Noses. No more of the stomach oh, thing going on. Yeah, no, and you know there's some other things too. Uh-huh. We've got some clover popping up in the front lawn. <laughs> uh, yep. Retirement, but I ran across something the other day uh, uh, online that I think all of our problems are solved. Really? If they it's are. online, it's got to it be true. Has to be true. <laughs> I tell you what, it, I'd like to share it with you. So I'll go ahead and play it right now. Okay. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. Healing flows when you delight yourself in God's Word. Come to Jesus and freely receive your healing today. There are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Discover Christ's heart of love in wanting to touch, heal, and restore you to wholeness for every physical and emotional need. Come and receive your healing. Praise God. Let's all shout. Grace, grace. Shout again. Grace, grace. Amen. This is what prophet Zechariah told Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, when the remnant came back from captivity. They had to rebuild the temple of God, and the enemies came and discouraged them. The Bible tells us many years passed, and the temple was still not built. Zechariah said, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel the governor. Shout grace, grace to your mountain. And your mountain will become a plain. Amen? So whatever the mountain is, mountain of affliction, mountain of sickness or disease, shout grace, grace to it. And it will become a plain. Once again, shout grace, grace to your problem. Do you have a challenge today? Is there something that has beset you and caused you concern, even fear, whatever it is, the Bible says, not by might, not by power, all the intellect of man and all the smarts of man cannot remove that problem, but can be removed only by God's grace. If you shout grace, grace to it. Are you ready? All right, lift up one hand. This hand is an expression of that problem that you have right now. Whether it's a sickness, a disease, whether it is lack in some area, maybe it is a credit card debt. Well, you're about to shout grace, grace to it. Are you ready? Now look at that problem, lift it up before the Lord, say, Lord Jesus, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. Grace, grace. Grace, grace. Grace, grace into this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so excited that the month of May, we are focusing on healing. Mark, all of my problems are solved. Everything we need right there. Grace, grace. Yes. And even the credit card that, you know, that's even taken care of. I didn't even mention that before. That could be a mountain in some cases. And that lip fungus that our kids picked up, that's taken (laughs) care of too. That's amazing. Everything is all taken care of. You know, a few things strike us here, and we're having a good time with this. But there's some problems here. Yeah, there are. But first of all, though, the Lord did command... Zechariah to tell, how do we say that? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel? 
Zerubbabel, okay. But with less Zerubbabel. He did command Zechariah to speak to Zerubbabel. But where it goes off the rails is... To speak to who? Zerubbabel. That's right. Yes. Yeah, Zerubbabel is the governor, and so they're supposed to get the temple built. And Zechariah's job as a prophet is to motivate them to do that. Yes, he says this mountain's going to be turned into a plain. And the temple will be built. Zerubbabel will build it. And with the capstone will be put in place with shouts of grace, grace grace to it. That's right. (laughs) Yes. But notice the context of that is that the shouts of grace, grace grace, to it, yes. They are meant as a declaration of God's power, his grace, and all of that in the completion of the temple which serves him. Yes, it's finished. It's a triumphant exodus. Exaltation. I mean, this is exciting. It's finally finished. And he's telling them, if you'll do this, it will get done. Yes. And he's trying to encourage them in the building process. But that's not how it was presented. No, that's how, not what I heard either. How it was presented is as if you have problems. Yes. And you have that credit card. Let me play the music. In the you get the bum, 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 it was queued up at exactly the right time. Very nice. Yes. Very nice. And, and you have these thousands of people yes. in the audience all buying into this without even questioning it. Oh, the video is amazing. You have to watch the video. There's a link in the show notes. Yes. Frightening. And if you just say these words... Grace, 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 as an incantation or a mantra. It's going to go away. God is going to solve your problem. So what, yep. what under the surface here, what's really happening is, is a declaration of God's power and glory to serve him has been turned into an incantation to serve us. Yeah, there's been a, a twisting in the scriptures. So we've taken a scriptural term, but we've applied an application to it that is totally foreign to how the scriptures, uh, to how the scriptures use it, it's totally foreign to how God gave it to Zechariah. Somebody says, "Well, who cares? Yeah, who cares? Because, you know, it's, it doesn't matter. I mean, God Come loves on. us either way, and yeah. so you know, He can interpret it His way. We can interpret it our way, or you can interpret it your way. I interpret it my way. Big deal, right? What's, yeah, what's the, the difference? Deal? There's a huge difference here. Yes, there here. is. There is. You know, here's the funny thing is that folks in the church, oftentimes that point is lost on us. Sometimes. But it's not lost on the world powers. Like, for instance, China. Yeah. Do a little bit of digging on, on that because, hey, if we're going to examine the power of a language to either move, to move people or suppress people or liberate people, why not go to a communist regime and see how they do it? They should know something about that. So here's a case in point. Um, if you go to, you remember the Tiananmen Square incident? Absolutely. 1989. Yep. There were uh, thousands of protesters at Tiananmen Square in China who were rallying and protesting for liberation, for liberty. Yep. They wanted their communist system to more reflect what they saw at the time in America. So they had even rallied and built a miniature Statue of Liberty, crying out for their voices to be heard, for their system to become more de- uh, democratic, for freedom. Right. What they got was tanks. They did. And remember that photo, or video even, of these tanks coming down, this row of tanks. Yeah. And there was one... One guy. One it, guy. Yeah. In a, like a white kind of a, a white jacket or white shirt or something. Yeah. Standing. Standing in front of the tanks, stopping this entire row yeah. of tanks. And you mentioned uh, a little earlier when we were talking about this that as the tanks moved, he moved. He did. Yeah, to- they went. They tried to go around him at first because yes. they wanted to avoid the conflict. And he moved in there. He moved in their path again. The communist officials. This <clears throat> shook the entire fabric of the of uh, communist China to the point to where dissidents were jailed. Yeah. Uh, there was a hunt that was commenced for for anyone who was involved in this the uh-huh. intellectuals the college students their families anyone who would have been involved and and 
even in the language of the Communist Party, they don't refer to this as a liberty movement. What do they call it? They call it a, a period of unrest. A period of, a period of mm. unrest, yes. And here's the power of that. So two dissidents, one remained living in China, another one uh, moved into the Western, I think actually lived in London. And these were dissidents at the time of Tiananmen Square? Yes, dissidents okay. working right. together at the time of Tiananmen Square. They got together recently as a bit of a reunion. Uh -huh. And the language in China is so pervasive regarding this, it's not a liberty movement, it's a period of unrest. Period of unrest. That one of the dissidents, the one who's lived in China since Tiananmen Square, yeah use the term period of unrest, which she's talking, they're talking back and forth, and she called it a period of unrest. Just in casual just conversation. Casual. Yeah. And the other dissident who had been living abroad since then looks at her and just a little <laughs> bit shocked. Like, this isn't a period of unrest. This was a democracy movement. This was a liberty movement. Yeah. This, was, this was a challenge to the authority. It wasn't just a period of unrest. And the lady who mentioned the words period of unrest stopped, and they made eye contact, and she just stared at him as he stared at her, and she realized what she had just done. She had allowed yes. the Communist Party's language to infiltrate her thought process. Yes. Even when she's yep. describing the incident that she was involved in to overthrow the system, she uses their terminology. You know, if you go to China during certain times of the year, uh, and as of the time that the articles I read were written, you, and you try to look up the word Tiananmen Square, yeah. you try to look up the word 80, 1989 or uh -huh. 89, yeah. or even 8 squared, 64, which I believe is uh, somehow Tiananmen Square means 8 squared, you look up those terms, and those terms are blocked in the Chinese search engines during certain times of the year. Uh-huh, because the Chinese understand that words do make a difference. I mean, otherwise, they wouldn't go to yeah. the trouble of nixing. They understand yeah. that words make a difference. They know that words lead to thoughts. Thoughts produce attitudes, and attitudes result in action. And they know that in order to maintain their power, they have to have control of language. Yes, the same thing is happening in the church today. Words mean things. They produce thoughts, mm -hmm. and thoughts eventually produce doctrine. Yes. Our doctrine is being changed through the back door. And a little bit about this episode, Mark. Yeah, we, when we started on this, we thought that this would be just another haphazardly thrown-together episode wrapped with a little duct tape yep. and bailing twine and thrown out for Good public enough. consumption. But, man, as, as soon as we started to peel back the lid on this thing, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Even now, we, we're leaving out, you know, large chunks of is what applies, you know, what's, what's included in this larger topic of words just losing their meaning. But the powers that be recognize that words haven't lost meaning because while culture is saying it doesn't matter, the opinion makers are working very hard to shape opinion through the use of particular language, like alternate lifestyle. Yes. They're using language like the anti-abortion movement. They're right. using language Equal to form rights. opinion. Yes. Exactly. All of those things are absolutely testaments to the fact that they know words have power, even though the for the masses, the masses are free to believe that words oh, don't have meaning. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, can, you can interpret it however you oh, want yeah. to. Potato, but the people potato. in the know are working very, very diligently 
to change American jargon. Even to shame people who use certain words and to intimidate us to not use certain words. Now, I'm not going to, we're not saying that in the church that the people within the church are shaming people who use words. I mean, that, that might be happening. It probably is, actually. <laughs> but really what we're focusing here is, is that by the use, the casual use of words or by using biblical words, but even changing their meaning, just yep. like Joseph Prince yep. did. Just switching it out. Suddenly what's happening is doc, the rug of doctrine is being pulled out from under, yep. and, and many in the church are unsuspecting of it. Yep. What we're seeing is we're, we're changing the Christian vocabulary from a thought-based, Bible-rooted vocabulary to some emotionally driven, semi-Bible-ish sounding vocabulary yes. that they heard somewhere else. Somebody else said it, and so... That sounds pretty good. I think I'll borrow that. And it becomes a part of their personal theology, a part of their personal, dare we use the word, doctrine. Ooh. Yeah. So we're just asking people to stop and think when, yeah. when a word is used, what does that mean? But Mark, we've got a sponsor uh, oh, this half hour. So we better go to our sponsor and we'll come back right after this. You know, I was reading in Matthew the other day where Jesus is talking about the sacrifice. The Whoa, dude, I don't understand anything you're saying. You need to learn to speak Christianese. Uh, Christianese? Do you feel like your Christian vocabulary just isn't keeping up with the times? That there's a language barrier between you and your friends? Now you can break through that language barrier with Rosie Stone's Christianese Made Easy Language Program. Rosie Stone's Christianese Made Easy program is a whole language immersion system that teaches you to speak fluent conversational Christianese fast through one-on-one tutoring. You'll start by learning the latest important Christianese terms. A word from the Lord. A word from the Lord. Anointed. Anointing. Anointed. Anointing. Spirit-led. Spirit-led. Deep worship. Deep worship. Awesomeness fills. Awesomeness fills. Now, let's throw them into a conversational salad bowl and mix them up to make a sentence. But what if they don't make sense? That's the beauty of Christianese. They don't have to. Okay, I was in a deep spirit-led worship the other day when I received a word from the Lord and was overwhelmed by his awesomeness. Excellent. Now, change the order of the words. I was led into his awesomeness the other day and was overwhelmed by the Spirit and given a a word of deep worship. Now you're getting it. That's right. With Rosie Stone's Christian Ease Made Easy program, you'll sound like your deep worshiping, spirit-led, anointed friends in minutes. Or put another way, you'll sound like your deeply anointed, worship-led friends in minutes. Register for Christian Ease Made Easy today. So, Mark, have you gotten your copy of Have you downloaded <laughs> Christian Ease yet? You know, I, I keep waiting. It just hasn't well, shown up. You're Usually, supposed to buy it. We should get oh. comps. Well, if that's they're true. advertising with us. We shouldn't have to buy them. Yeah, no that's kidding. what our listeners are supposed to do. Yeah, if you guys go out there and buy it, maybe Christianese Made Easy will be able to afford to give us some comps. That's so a we good encourage idea. you guys to go buy that. The point is that the words we use really do have an impact, and they really do affect people, and that constitutes doctrine. Here's a quick example. Casual conversation. You're talking to your Muslim neighbor. You're talking to your Baptist neighbor. You're talking to your Mormon neighbor yes. in front of your kids, and you yes. mentioned that we'll see each other in heaven. You've just taught doctrine to your kids. What? How's that? Yeah, you know. See, if we, hey, the Bible is clear. Jesus is the only way to God, 
And nobody else is a way to Jesus. There's, through no one else is there salvation under heaven, through no other name. Jesus is the only way. If we throw everybody in that bucket, if we throw hey, everybody brother. together, right, that's a doctrinal statement, even though we don't stop and really think about, well, now, is this biblically accurate? We just kind of roll with it because that's common parlance. So those who are casually listening to our casual conversation casually pick up a new doctrine. They do. Yeah. They do. But, but you, that's drastic. Yeah, but I mean, you want us... You want us to change how we speak? You want us to change what we do? Yeah, I mean, some listeners might be thinking that, what's the big deal with doctrine anyway? I mean, It happens what? all the time. Come on, come on. It happens all the time. And people in the religious world are deliberately trying to blur the lines of doctrine. Uh, most of our listeners will have heard the phrase, doctrines divide. And, I mean, that expression has power. It's supposed to paint a derogatory view of doctrine in our mind. Doctrine just means the systematic understanding of God. That's not a bad thing. But it's painted in our world as if doctrines are somehow contrary to what God wants. God just wants us to love everybody. God would really like it if you love them enough to save them. Right. But you can't save them if you don't identify that they're lost. That's a doctrine. That's a doctrine. Okay, so let's go to a passage that talks about doctrine. Mark, what, where we, what do we have here? You know, let's take uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's start in about verse 15. Paul tells Timothy, he says, Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's not a minor point. He's talking about this is a salvation issue. Your teaching, that would be doctrine, results in salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. If you told your, if you told your denominational buddy, if you told your, your Mormon pal across the street <clears throat> that you know, I, I'm glad that you found Jesus in your own way. You've communicated doctrine to them. You haven't ensured salvation for them. If anything, you've taken them further away. Yeah, but you know, we use all kinds of excuses today. I don't want to get hung up on doctrine. I just want to follow Jesus' words. Uh, you've heard the term, I'm a lead redder. Bleh. Lead, lead, lead redder. Yeah, that one. I'm a red letter Christian. Good. Uh, we need to stop arguing, and you talk about doctrine dividing and that kind of thing. Yeah. A little known secret is that we can't avoid doctrine. No, we, you, you we, cannot avoid we doctrine. Just Here, are some examples of things that people think aren't doctrine, but they are. I just want to love people the way Jesus loved them. Mm-hmm. That's a doctrine. That's, that sounds good, though. Yeah, it does. But that's doctrine. It is. Isn't it? It is absolutely doctrine. How do we know how Jesus loved people? Why do we determine that's important? How about, I just want to live a good life and, and hope it all works out. And, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> or or, or I, want to, I don't want to preach doctrine. I just want to preach Jesus. I just preach Jesus. I, I yes. like that. As if, as if you could separate the two. Right. You know, in, uh, in Acts chapter 8, when Philip is on his way down the road uh, to Azotus at the Lord's command, he joins the chariot, and there is this Ethiopian, right? Right. And it says specifically, he preached Jesus to him. He just he just told him about Jesus. Jesus, that's it. Right. And yeah. so as they're going he told along, to love people. He, he preached Jesus to him. Is yes, what it just says. Love, love people. He uh, preached okay. Jesus to him. Yes. And as they're going along the road, they come to some water, and the Ethiopian pops out, and he says, hey, look, water, what prevents me from being immersed? Now, some people so, I know strange, think, well, why, why would he say that if why he just preached he, Jesus? If he preached Jesus, unless there were some doctrine 
that went along ah. with the preaching of Jesus. Because the preaching of Jesus includes doctrine. It sure does. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But those who stray from those things turned aside to fruitless discussions. Those strange doctrines result in, they, they do not further the administration of God, which is by faith. They just give rise to myths and genealogies and all kinds of other controversy. But they don't move the gospel forward. So here's the point. If someone says, um, I could hear somebody right now saying, you know, I, I just want to love people. I want to love Jesus. And I, I don't want to get hung up on all the controversial things. The problem with that is that if we take that mindset, we're opening ourselves up to the spreading of false doctrine that actually hinders the gospel it does. instead of moving it. So our good intentions are actually working against the spread of the gospel. Yep. The, the, and that really is the core of the problem, is that, is that when, we, when we ascribe to those things, when we start to pick up those, uh, those cues socially or from other conversation, what's happening is what I'll call doctrinal creep. Okay. Is, is, that, is that doctrines that used to be solid have been moved ever so slightly by the changing of terms or the changing of those definitions. A great example of that oh, is the one that's oh, oh, everywhere. Oh, 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 come on, oh, oh, come on. You ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay, go for it. Grace, grace! Oh, no, <laughs> no, no that's not, not that it. I'm, a great example of that is how we use the term pastor. pastor. Yes. Yep. Pastor is Well, a, time out, time out. For everybody who just tuned out... For, just a second, Mark. Mark's turning red here. <laughs> for everyone who just t- tuned us out because you're thinking, oh, you guys are getting so nitpicky. Mark, why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because if we change the term pastor. Pastor is a biblically defined term to describe a biblical office that has a biblical purpose. If we change that name, if we change it from what the scriptures define it to something else, we've changed the nature of that office. And that's what's being done. Is pastors described in the New Testament as an elder as a, as if or a, or a bishop, the terms are synonymous. Right. Okay. If we change those terms by usage, most of the people know, even the guys who will claim the title for themselves, most of them are aware of the fact that biblically, that's not what pastor means. But nobody cares. Nobody cares because that's what's in common use. And so they just go with it, even though the result is they subtly change the office. And so what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is now instead of a pastor being someone as described by the scripture to accomplish the scriptural purpose of shepherding the flock, yes. now it's a CEO of a corporation in practice where the pastor's job is to be the lead guy who has his executive vice presidents over whom he presides called associate pastors and yes. youth pastors, yes. and the job is to grow the corporation. And I know people are not going to like that, but that's the way it is. It is. The the subtle implication here is, is that we've taken, we've taken the biblical mandate, the way the scriptures describe the church as being organized and growing, and we've turned it into something that's, that's led by culture, by the loose use of our term pastor. Right. And and I can understand why people might ask okay, so so what? So we so we named it wrong. But listen, 
once you start down that slippery slope, where does that end? So if we can change the definition for pastor, can we change the definition for baptism? If we can change the definition right. for baptism, can we change the definition of marriage? If we change the definition of marriage, can we change? And you see, there's no end to this. There's no place where this naturally just kind of ends of its own fruition. It doesn't happen. Right. It just, it, the doors are open Anything is on the table now. And with regard to the specific term pastor, uh, using the term the biblical way and having men who are indeed qualified elders, pastors, bishops like James. Yeah. Okay. um, That actually is a protective to that protects the church and protects the person who is called that. Right. The way that the scriptures define those those qualities of a man who would fill that office, those are for his protection. So if we, if we short-circuit that process and we throw somebody in there who's not qualified, as the Scripture describes, then we've set the entire system up for failure. Right. But at least we won't be different than the guys down the street. That's right. Because yep. you're pastor. So we'll all my fail together. At the last men's breakfast and we're all good. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, so Mark, all right. So we, we've got that one. If anyone has questions as to exactly why the word pastor, why we're taking issue with that, how it's used today, we'd be more than happy to discuss that with you. Sure. Check we, it out in Titus 1, 5 through 9, and 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the biblical definition and qualifications of a guy who would fill that role. And if there's a person at your assembly who's being called an elder, pastor, or bishop who does not meet those qualifications, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. If we're going to be serious about doing, about doing things the Bible way, let's start doing it. Hey, how about another one, Mark? What about the term Christian? Uh, you've got a problem with the term Christian now? <laughs> what? Right. What? Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. If we have to be cautious, Scripture defines the term Christian just like it defines the term pastor, just like it defines a word from the Lord. The Scripture defines those terms. A Christian is someone, according to Romans chapter 8, the first 11 verses, but particularly 9 through 11, is defined as someone who is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean they feel that they're indwelt. It means someone that the scriptures say are indwelt by the Spirit of God, not somebody who identifies as a Christian, came from a, I'm using the air quotes, a Christian heritage or a Christian home yes. or a they have a, a Christian neighbor or they live in a Christian neighborhood. Or they it, wear a cross, like or, a big hip-hop cross. like the, uh, Or yeah. that. Yeah. Or, yeah. or that. Uh-huh. The scripture defines that as somebody who has the Spirit of Christ and it further defines how the Spirit of Christ is received when we are born of water and spirit, according to John chapter 3. So when we're talking about our friends or neighbors who've asked Jesus into their heart and we call them a Christian friend or neighbor, (coughs) what? No, they're not. Yeah. They're not. Yeah, and, and I'm just I asked that question to make the point because yeah. that's the fact. But we're if we use the term Christian, we've made a doctrinal statement. Yes, and who picks up on that? They do. They do. Our, Our kids, kids do. do. And by us uttering those words, pretty soon yeah, we start we believing it, it too. You know, uh, rubbing elbows with folks uh, from different churches who who once held to the belief uh, of the scriptures and talks about how to become a Christian, yeah. uh, Christ in you, and all that. And, and as they change their terminology, the congregations have moved away yes. from obeying the gospel. Yep. It's that kind of common parlance that gives them credibility in the religious world because people are looking for what feels right and what sounds right, but they're not comparing it 
to the scriptures. We have to be cautious that what we speak is what we really believe. We're, we're not trying to make mountains out of molehills. No. We, we really aren't. But we're trying to show the mountains to be what they are because the mountains are trying to make themselves into mole heroes yes. to, to appear that way so that it doesn't look like this is a big deal. Right. Our appeal to those other who, who would be tempted to think, you know what, if I can just kind of take uh, the easier path on this, kind of be quiet, just use the same terms that everybody else is using, and just love people and not stir the pot, our appeal really is this, is to challenge, uh, to stand up for what's true, and to be consistent with what the scriptures say. Yeah. Because that really is demonstrating love. It, it is. You know, if we're going to claim to be a Christian, we ought to speak like Christians. If we're going to claim to believe the scriptures, we ought to speak the way that the scripture speaks. We ought to combine spiritual thoughts and spiritual world. <laughs> that too. And spiritual words. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.13, he said, Therefore, as we believe, therefore also we speak. You know, there's... Christians have been told that it's terrible. The, the cloud of political correctness has overshadowed the religious world so that Christians think they have to sound and speak like everybody else. But there's power in the words that we use. Yeah. The Chinese government knows it. Yep. The world powers know it. This God knows it. Yes. He created it. It's time for us to know it and stand on it. And speak it. And we'll talk to you next time on Interman, Interman Radio. Radio.